Well, the IPS survey, as far as I can tell, uh, suggests that the segment of the electorate that desired change, more or less in the Liberal Democratic direction, a segment that IPS, I think, chose to label pluralist, has actually fallen in proportion uh, since 2006. Uh, yet it remains true that this segment was able to set the tone of GE 2011 by being the most articulate and the most expressive. Uh, indeed, the 2011 electorate was an especially expressive one. Public intellectuals, uh, including political observers, civil society activists, and even academics, gained audibility and loyal followers online with well-crafted, reflective, and analytical pieces uh, whose focus ranged from big-picture questions uh, to criticism of particular policies and to the actual crunching of, of uh, data to dispel some conventional wisdoms. Uh, citizen journalists were able to influence the agenda by raising new issues and recirculating archived articles in a very strategically timely manner. And by calling to question the same conventional wisdoms that had served in the past as ideological justifications for the establishment. Artists and other creatives also played an important part in galvanizing and sometimes even modulating political opinion and support. Armed with refined sense of theatricality, uh, wit and satirical humor, they entertained their followers, frustrated their targets, and got many to re-examine themselves, as artists are supposed to do. Uh, ordinary Singaporeans on Facebook uh, liked and shared uh, what they watched on YouTube and read in the mainstream in alternative news, sometimes framing this with thoughtful commentary, but often attacking what or more usually who um, they disliked. And they did this with alarming levels of vitriol. The prospect of being flamed by trolls and the comfort of like-mindedness effectively saw the tribalization of cyberspace into polarized sites whose party political affiliations and proclivities were obvious, and in most cases, deliberately so. Aside from the more aggressive, uh, accusatory, and iconoclastic interactions in cyberspace, there were also gentler, almost inspirational, and more tolerant, though no less critical expressions that uh, attracted a large following. Ordinary and uh, notably younger Singaporeans wrote reflective pieces that were thoughtful, made sense, and perhaps most importantly, touched the hearts of other ordinary readers too. Uh, through their aesthetically sensitive writing, they exuded charisma and charm. For instance, some young people wrote rather confessional accounts of how they came out of the political closet, of how they emerged from the slumber of youthful apathy and into heightened political consciousness because some person or incident had jolted them into seeing more clearly that all was not well in paradise, et in Arcadia ego sum. And the political system and practice to them, it seemed, had something to do with that. So they resolved to be part of the change. Often, the language of change was deliberately used to resonate with um, images of visionary leaders, including you know, Obama, JFK, Gandhi, Public intellectuals, citizen journalists, and artists, whether they realized it or not, provided intellectual leadership through their various interventions, helping to reshape the political discourse, developing most significantly an alternative vocabulary for making sense of a reality that seemed, for many ordinary Singaporeans, to grate painfully against the received dogmas that stubbornly declared the hard truths about the primacy of national vulnerability, economic success, meritocracy, neoliberal globalization, and the indispensability of the PAP at the center of a dominant one-party state. Parts of this alternative vocabulary were recognizably drawn from 
liberal ideas about freedom of expression, checks and balances, political competition, and diversity, as well as from progressive ideas about equity and social justice. The vocabulary seemed to resonate better with the street-level experiences of ordinary Singaporeans, and as it helped them to express their hitherto inexpressible dissatisfactions more articulately, they assumed a counter-hegemonic position in the collective expressivity of that part of the electorate that seemed to desire some kind of change. There were also several political candidates who were astute enough to pay attention to the aesthetic and soft power dimensions of their attempts to engage the electorate. So uh, the NSP's Nicosia, for example, broke down in tears during the campaign rally when talking about how the poor were mistreated in Singapore. And she also apologized to the Malays and Muslims in Singapore for then Minister Mentor Lee Kuan Yew's comments about the problems of integration. Now in the hands of a less aesthetically skillful candidate, such theatrical displays would have been condemned as hysterical and hypocritical. Indeed, they strengthened her already attractive public image held in the public's mind as the polar opposite of her, PhD, uh, of her PAP opponent, <laughs> Tin Pei Lin, whose every word and deed were inescapably framed as puerile, gauche, uh, superficial, and unoriginal. The SDP's Vincent Vijay Singer was also a highly skilled orator uh, who was able successfully to punctuate his accusations and to weave emotive figures of speech into the tones and textures of his public speaking. Footage of his uh, coil of rope speech, for instance, uh, was produced into a very poignant short film which was circulated online. The Workers' Party's Pritam Singh led a packed stadium in a heart-stopping recitation of the National Pledge during his, elect, uh, during his campaign rally. Now these, and there were other uh, opposition politicians, all possessed an acute appreciation of aesthetic power and the ability to exercise it, which contrasted favorably with the rather unattractively clinical, rational, just-the-facts style of most candidates from the PAP. There were, of course, exceptions, such as Minister Tarman Shan Mugaratnam, who was skillfully able to project sharp intellect, clarity, warmth, and humility when he engaged with opponents on television. And of course, uh, then Minister George Yeo, who managed his online presence with finesse and even sent out a video message to young Singaporeans that was regarded by most accounts as sincere and likable. Others made an attempt but did not succeed nearly as well. For instance, Minister Liu Tak Yu's attempt at uh, Adopting storytelling conventions in his speech uh, drew wide criticism, in part for his rather poorly thought out mush mushroom metaphor. And uh, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew's uh, Old Testament style warning about repentance also uh, did not go down very well. So does all of this greater expressiveness among the electorate, sharpened by effective intellectual leadership, does all of this amount to real and durable change in the prospects for greater political competition in the near future. I want to suggest two analogies that seem to me to be helpful. Uh, first, uh, the analogy of the carnival, and second, the analogy of adolescence, which I think was anticipated in the question by our 21-year-old Joel in the audience earlier. So carnival. In anticipation of Lenten austerity and through colorful public parades and masquerades, carnival participants bid momentary farewell to the ordinariness of their daily lives entering into a liminal or transitional space of excess and exaggeration where the rules, hierarchies, and pieties of society no longer apply and are instead the objects of ridicule. In carnival, 
ordinary people of lower rank, mock princes, bishops, and anyone in positions of authority, behind grotesque costumes and masks and through mimicry, satire, parody, and laughter, ordinary people confront and deflate the pompous self-importance and seriousness of those in positions of authority, while irreverently elevating the fool to high status. Now, the Singapore electorate's expressiveness, a public manifestation of political exuberance, bore some of the anarchic characteristics of Carnival, momentarily providing the people in cyberspace and at election uh, rallies with a relatively free space in which to play at being active and informed citizens bound together as an electoral community of some political force, leaving behind the mundane aspects of their lives as consumers and citizens. There have, of course, always been critics from all classes of Singaporeans, but their activities in normal times were mostly limited to the hidden transcripts of more guarded cynicism that circulated in the safety and confidence of private spaces. The relatively free space of carnival has been permitted, even if grudgingly, by those in authority who understand the need to have a safe and controlled space for people to vent their frustrations openly, to express themselves in colorful hyperbole, and to accuse and ridicule those who are held and who hold themselves in high esteem, all with the aim of symbolically inverting the hierarchical order of society. Once they have extended this surge of anarchic energy, they can return to normal life, calm and readjusted. Although one can imagine that the buildup of political confidence and energies may spill over into regular public life, thus motivating sustained democratization and a more constantly active citizenry, it is also easy to imagine that the surge of political energy may quickly be dissipated by subsequent tedium, when people become tired of talking about politics and saying the same things about it. People may also become disillusioned if the kind of change that they expected or were promised does not materialize quickly enough. What happens if the PAP does not live up to its promise of policy and party reform, or if it uh, continues to listen only selectively to the people, or if it tries, and tries very hard, but fails? What happens if the opposition fails to live up to the public expectations where performance in parliament and constituency management are concerned? What happens if the people eventually come to realize that real change is really not that easy to achieve, and actually having to implement solutions without incurring painful trade-offs in other areas is a lot harder than just asserting during the election campaign platitudes about what needs to be done. If these scenarios play out, the people may lose heart and even withdraw from what was thought to be a repoliticized public sphere. The carnival analogy suggests that nothing will have really changed. And once all the political exuberance has been spent, the people will again be ready for an austere season of fasting and piety until the next election. Another way to think about the political expressiveness of 2011 is to think through the analogy of adolescence, a transitional stage in human development that connects childhood and adulthood, a stage at which the child becomes much more concerned about its own individualization, gains confidence, and negotiates for greater independence. It is often also a time of increased aggressiveness, rebelliousness, petulance, experimentation, and even recklessness. In this development towards adulthood, the Adolescence often mimics the speech and actions of adults, which at first may seem grotesque and ungainly, but they subsequently develop an independent voice and identity. The Singapore electorate during GE 2011 had a notably youthful character, not only in the sense of being composed mainly by younger and in many 
uh, instances, first-time voters, but also in the sense that the electorate seemed to be experiencing some kind of growing pains as it attempted to shed its youthful political innocence in the cause of what one might think of as political maturation. From an adolescent electorate, one can expect experimentation and certainly risky behaviours as people try to find their footing and voice. Uh, there will no doubt be shrill, petulant, unpolished, and exaggerated voices, just as there will be perspectives released from the blind spots of establishment thinking. They are all valuable for shaking up the comfort zones and for signaling latent or emerging issues of importance that a strictly scientific approach to policy making and planning may not be able to capture and address adequately. However, the Singapore electorate may not experience normal adolescence. This is in large part because the people, we, have been infantilized by one and a half centuries of colonial government and half a century of the current government's strong paternalism, buttressed by narratives of fear and inadequacy and an extensive structure of behavioral incentives and disincentives. This has been a kind of arrested development, but resentment has built up quickly in the last few years over difficult to ignore issues regarding, uh, we know them well, ra rising costs, rapid demographic changes, and um, more pronounced inequalities, all of which seem to ordinary Singaporeans to be a fault of an overpaid and unsympathetic government. The adolescent spurt of intelligence, skepticism, confidence, and sense of fairness has fueled an especially angry revolt against the father who continues to control and patronize. In the more spectacular example of the US counterculture in the 1960s, a younger generation was disgusted with the mainstream culture and values of the smug and affluent generation before them. Non-conformist and anti-establishment, they rejected their parents' norms and conventions and regarded them as materialistic, uptight, numb about racism, sexism, and war. Like David aiming his sling at Goliath, young people were at the center of student activism and new movements for social change, challenging authority and tradition. For the times, as Bob Dylan wailed, they are a changing. So will affluent and comfortable Singapore experience a similar countercultural moment in the near future, leading to real and durable political changes? And if so, will this lead to healthy political norms? Or will we see the kind of culture wars which have ideologically polarized, paralyzed American society uh, and, and which have led to a, a deadlock on important policy issues? And the IPS survey has found that the proportion of Singaporeans who consistently want change has risen, most significantly among the youngest voters. But on the whole, the proportions of those who want change and those who don't have both actually fallen, thus increasing the pool of voters who are more eclectic in their preferences. This suggests perhaps that the electorate, at least for now, may be closer to carnival than to adolescent counterculture. Thank you.